Right now, uh, we are going through a sermon series in Colossians. Uh, every week, we go through a different portion of Colossians. And last week, we read through this passage um, about Jesus' supremacy. And we ended that passage by noting uh, that Paul is a minister of the gospel. So Paul is the author of Colossians. And he said that he is a minister of the gospel. And that brings us to today's passage. So we're going to read Colossians 1, 24, all the way to Colossians 2, 5. So I'll just read this, and it should be on the screen too. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints— To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he works powerfully within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So in this passage, uh, Paul is describing his role as a minister. And uh, you know sometimes when we hear this word minister, we think of um, professional people uh, who get up and talk, right? Like Pastor Dan. And we go, okay, ministers, we think of ministers as holy people. And they're the types of people where if we see them in the same room, then we watch our language or you know, if we see them in the same room and we need a, we need someone to pray for us, we, we go ask them to pray for us because we have this idea that they have, you know, a special type of prayer that anybody else, nobody else has. And But that's actually not really the case. Um, and I won't go into the details, but this word minister in the Greek uh, has a variety of meanings. But one of the meanings is it's simply translated servant. Oftentimes when you see this word in the New Testament, it's translated servant. And uh, biblically, actually, a minister isn't necessarily a special holy office, though it can be, uh, a minister, oftentimes in the Bible, is a regular Christian. A minister is just a regular Christian. And, and in other words, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to serve, okay? And by serving, you are ministering to others. You are serving others. You are being a minister to others. And therefore, when we, when we read about how Paul is talking about his role as a minister, we're not supposed to think, Paul is such a great guy. Look at him talking about his credentials and what he's doing. He's awesome. We're supposed to think, um, what can I learn here? How can I learn from Paul's example as a minister so that I can be a better minister to others? So we're going to dive into this passage, and there's a ton that's worth exploring. But I want to point out just three things today. There's three things I want to uh, point out about ministry um, that we can learn from Paul's life. The first is the nature of ministry. Then we got the message of ministry. Then we got the goal of ministry. The nature of ministry, the message of ministry, and the goal of ministry. Firstly, the nature of ministry. According to this passage, the nature of ministry is suffering. The nature of ministry is suffering. Ministry is characterized 
by suffering. In verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And this is hugely important as he's talking about being a minister because many people think if they are suffering, they're doing something wrong. Okay, That's just a prevalent idea in Christian circles or non-Christian circles. There's this idea that if you're suffering, you're doing something wrong. And I would say maybe the opposite is true. If you are not suffering, then you might be doing something wrong because God calls us all to minister, and by ministering, we actually encounter suffering because the nature of ministry is suffering. And so when you visit people in hospitals, for example, or when you are praying with someone who is going through immense pain, or when you share Christ with someone over and over, and they are they are always relapsing, they're, they're, they're tuning you out, you see little fruit. Or when you dedicate yourself to social justice causes, whether it be improving schools or reaching the homeless people, when you do all those things, when you're doing ministry, you experience suffering. You will naturally take on the suffering of those you're ministering to. Ministry is marked by suffering. And so the reason why ministry is marked by suffering is because ministry involves living life with people who suffer, and we take on that suffering. But there's another reason why ministry is marked by suffering, and it's a deeply theological reason. And it's here in verse 24, Paul continues, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Okay, so this is a little bit strange, okay? If you grow up in the church, and especially if you are, you know, um, a nice Protestant, justification by faith Christian, okay? This might sound a little strange because it seems like Paul is claiming that through his suffering, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And I would say, I think that is what what he is claiming, Okay, and so some of your, depending on your church background, if you're not from a church background, you might think this is totally normal. But if you're from a church background, maybe your theology alarms are going off in your mind because you might be asking, how can Christ's affliction be lacking? How can Christ's afflictions be lacking? Does this mean that Christ's afflictions, uh, his sufferings, his death, is that not good enough for us? And I would say, no, that's not what it means. Okay, I think when Paul's talking about this, he doesn't mean to say, that Jesus' death on the cross is not able to save us. I would say that Jesus' death on the cross is fully and completely able to save us. Paul, Paul makes that clear throughout the New Testament. And when Jesus died, he took on God's wrath so that uh, when we die, we don't need to suffer in purgatory or anything like that. Uh, his suffering for us, in terms of securing for us salvation, is already complete. That's why when he died on the cross, he said, he said it is finished. Um, so what does Paul mean then? Well, if we take into account the whole context, okay, if we look at the whole uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, in the context we read that earlier Paul was talking about how amazing Jesus was. And uh, he goes to this beautiful section starting from verse 15. He's talking about the glory of Christ. And it's clear that Jesus doesn't lack anything. Okay, he's the image of God. He created all things. He's before all things. He holds together all things. He's the head of the church. All the fullness of God dwells in him. So he's going through this list of how amazing Jesus is. He's not lacking anything. And then he talks about his own sufferings. And he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. And I think that's a key phrase. To make the word of God fully known. And Paul is saying that he is suffering in his flesh. Why? 
I think, and it's not me, I looked this up a little bit too, why I think it is to make the word of God fully known. So what is lacking? Okay, I would say what is lacking is that what Jesus has done is not yet fully known. What Jesus has done is not yet fully known. Christ's suffering in terms of its saving ability is not lacking. But Christ's suffering in terms of the application of its saving ability in human souls is lacking. There is a lack not in the divine work of salvation. There is a lack in the human acknowledgement of that salvation. In other words, Christ's death saves, yet a lot of people aren't saved. Christ's death saves, but a lot of people aren't saved. And why are they not saved? Because they don't know about it. They don't understand it. They haven't experienced it. I read this CNN article uh, a while back uh, in talking about how every year there are about $2 billion in lottery prizes that go unclaimed. $2 billion worth in lottery prizes that go unclaimed. And, of course, many of these are small prizes, you know, but in 2015, there were 114 prizes worth a million dollars or more that went unclaimed. In 2015, 114 people forgot or they just lost a ticket or I don't know what happened, but they didn't claim a million dollars or more. Okay? The issue isn't that they didn't win the lottery. They did. The issue is they didn't know they won. They didn't know they won the lottery. And that's how it is with the gift of salvation. Christ's death has ensured that everybody, we all have access to Christ's death, to, to the gift of salvation. But many of us are not aware of Christ's salvation. Many of us are not aware of the gift of salvation. We don't know that we have access to it. So what is God's solution? How does he get the message out there? How does he get people to become aware of the gift of salvation? He has asked the church to carry on the message of Christ's death, not just through speech, but through suffering. Not just through speech, but through suffering. The church is to carry on the message of salvation. The way we make the message fully known is to embody the suffering of Christ in our own flesh. Because as we suffer, we point to the suffering of Christ. Christ's suffering is revealed through our suffering. Here's the big idea. We, the church, as the spiritual body of Christ, embody the suffering of the physical body of Christ to the world. We, the church, as a spiritual body of Christ, embody the suffering of the physical body of Christ to the world. And, and this suffering, we're not suffering because we're trying to earn salvation or, or whatever. That's not the point. The point is we already got salvation, but by suffering, we reveal to the world the suffering of Christ. Therefore, the suffering of the church fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, not by adding to the saving work of Christ's afflictions, but by sharing the already accomplished saving work of Christ's afflictions. And that's what doing ministry is about. It's about participating in Christ's afflictions. If you're visiting a friend who is struggling and she sees that you are suffering as well, but you're still serving her and you still love her, she will catch a glimpse of the gospel. She will catch a glimpse of Christ's suffering through you. If you're serving on the music team, for example, and you just had something horrible happen to you, but you, in the midst of something horrible happen to you, are still praising God, you're still worshiping, you're still singing, people see that. They'll catch a glimpse of the gospel. They'll catch a glimpse of what it means that Christ suffered. 
If you're in a community group, you share about the difficulties you're going through, and the people of the group, they see that you're sharing these difficulties, and they see how these difficulties you're going through are driving you to Christ. They see that, and they will be reminded of Christ's suffering. They'll catch a glimpse of the gospel. So whatever the case, as you minister to others, as you serve others, you will experience difficulty, pain, suffering. It will be hard. And during those times, I, I really encourage you, don't quit. Don't quit because that's really when it counts. When you go through suffering, that's when you reveal Christ's sufferings. That's when you reveal Christ's sufferings. When we really experience suffering, we manifest the sufferings of Christ to others. So some of you might know the story of the Huarani people. Um, the Huarani people, they live in Ecuador, and there's this unreached tribe of people. Uh, or it used to be unreached, I guess. Um, in 1956, five men sought to bring the gospel uh, to these people, and though they made some progress, one day, seemingly out of the blue, some of these Huarani people came, and they, they violently speared them all to death. Um, two years later, there were two women named Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot, and Rachel happened to be the sister of Nate, who was uh, one of the guys who was speared to death, and Elizabeth Elliot happened to be the wife of Jim, who was also speared to death, and these two people uh, decided, you know what, this mission, this mission to the Huarani people, it's not over. So they actually moved there too. And they lived there for years. And they lived with them. They learned their language. They translated the book of Mark into their language. They shared their faith. They loved them. And they started a church there. So that even some of the people who are actually responsible for killing these five men came to Christ. Some of the very same killers who killed these men that came to Christ. Rachel and Elizabeth experienced great suffering. To have a brother or a husband killed, that is great suffering. That is beyond what I can imagine. But they did not see their suffering as a demoralizing defeat. They saw it as an opportunity to share the gospel. Because they recognized there was a greater purpose. So why did the people of the Huarani tribe express a willingness to receive the gospel? Because the suffering of the church filled up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. The suffering of the church filled up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. The message of the gospel was lived out for them because of the suffering of these women. It's one thing to hear somebody say to you, you know what, Jesus suffered and died for you. But it's another thing to hear someone say, you killed my husband and I have suffered immensely because of it but I want to love you. I want to live with you because Jesus suffered and died for you. That's a totally another message. And so the nature of ministry is suffering. And that's point number one. And that's the longest one. So don't worry. I got two more. Okay. Nature of ministry is suffering. Number two, what is the message of ministry? Throughout a passage, Paul constantly refers to this message as a mystery. This message is a mystery. And in verse 26, he describes the word of God the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And what is this mystery that has now been revealed? He says in verse 27, the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a mystery. And so let's talk about this word mystery a little bit because sometimes we think about mysteries and we think about Sherlock Holmes or the Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew, if, if that's for you. And, and, and so... We think about that, but that's not what uh, Paul is talking about, okay? He's not talking about a mystery novel. 
Okay, this word is a little different. He's saying that from the dawn of time, there are some truths that only God knew. There are some truths that only God knew, and he has kept them a secret to humanity. But some of these things are now being revealed, and the word is out. These things that were once secrets are now known. And that's what Paul means when he uses this word mystery. And it's kind of like the Panama Papers. If you know anything about the Panama Papers, it came out a few weeks ago. Uh, For the longest time... Nobody knew, almost nobody knew, that all of these world leaders had stashed away billions of dollars in these offshore accounts. And all of a sudden, these news uh, uh, corporations came out with this story that this, is, this was happening. And so the word got out. And so that's kind of like that idea. So there's a secret that only a few people knew, but it got out. And in this case, God had the secret, and now it's being known. And what is that secret? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. So what does that mean, Christ in you, the hope of glory? So let's talk about glory, okay? Because I think this is also a word that might not be really understood in today's culture. Oftentimes when we think about glory, we think about movies like 300, okay? And we think about gory stuff, okay? But that's not necessarily what Paul's thinking about, though it can be that. Um, So I want to suggest to you that everybody longs for glory, okay? You might not think that. You might think, I don't really like 300, but I would say everyone longs for glory. And what I mean by that is uh, glory has to do with fame, recognition, approval, okay? And when we long for those things, what we're really longing for is glory. And so if somebody says to you, you know, I like your haircut, or I like the way you play guitar, or thanks for sharing this article on Facebook. Or you did great today. Or I love you for who you are. All of those compliments, all of those things are, 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 are said to you to appeal to your desire for glory. Uh, we all have this desire for glory. And we want people to say things to us, to affirm us, to approve of us, to recognize us, to love us, whatever. Uh, because we want this glory. And, and when we hear those things... Who you are is shining more brightly because somebody has recognized you. Someone has approved of you. And so this craving for recognition and approval comes from this desire for glory. And so that's what glory, that's the glory we're talking about. So why do we do that? Why do we have this craving for glory? I would say it's because we were designed for glory. We were originally created for glory. But not just any glory, to be in a glorious relationship with God, who is the most glorious being ever. And in fact, one of the first things that humans heard when they were created is, you're very good. That was God's declaration of you being good. And from the beginning, we were hardwired to hear that. We were hardwired for God to say to us, you are very good. But we lost that, right? And and at the fall, uh, we lost that intimate relationship with God. And therefore, we lost our goodness. We sinned. We lost our goodness. And when we lost our goodness, we lost our glory. Because we don't have someone to say to us, you are very good anymore. Because we know we are not good. We've messed up. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so we spend our lives seeking approval, not from God, but from other human beings, thinking that if we just get some more approval from other beings, we'll be satisfied. We'll get the glory that we wanted. But these other human beings are just as broken as we are. And most of the time, uh, oftentimes, they're really only saying nice things to us so that we can say nice things to them. And so... When Paul says 
This mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying there's a chance to get this glory that you're longing for, and that is through Christ. He's saying if you follow Christ, then Christ dwells in you. He lives in you. He resides in you, and his goodness stands in place of your brokenness. Thus, when God looks at you, he no longer sees just you, but he sees Christ. And when he sees Christ, then he once again declares, you are very good. You are my beloved son. I will always be with you. And those are the things that we've always longed for. That's the glory we always longed for. And that comes when Christ dwells in us. And when Christ dwells in us, this craving for recognition, for affirmation, we don't need to search for that anymore because we already got it through God declaring to us that we are very good. And even after we die, our bodies will be glorified meaning we will attain the glory we always search for. And when that happens, not only will we be good in name, but we will be good in actuality, in reality. We will be perfectly good. That glory that we're longing for gives us hope. And that glory comes from Christ. This message that Christ dwells in us and thus gives us hope for glory is a radical message. This is a revolutionary message that has the power to change the world if the world just recognizes it. Because without this message, we are nothing but broken human beings chasing one another for love and attention. That's all we really are. But with this message, we are restored to who we were created to be, and that is we are living in a vibrant relationship with God, and we can live with this identity, this hope, this confidence that it's unprecedented otherwise. So do you have Christ dwelling in you? Do you have this connection to this glory so that you don't have to seek for people's approval and to seek affirmation from other people? And if you don't, I encourage you to consider trusting in God more, to invite God into your life more. I encourage you to stop striving for glory and to receive the glory that comes through Christ. So that's number two. The message of ministry is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Number three, what is the goal of ministry? Starting from verse 28, Paul says, Him, this is Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So I'll pause right here. Why does Paul work toil, struggle so hard. What is his goal? He longs to present everyone mature in Christ. And one thing that strikes me about this passage is how often Paul uses these words, everyone or all, right? In verse 28, he says, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And and skip down to verse 2, he says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's ministry, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so Paul's goal is to present everyone mature in Christ, and this goal is exhaustive. It's for everyone, and it's, it's all of wisdom and all knowledge. And so this goal, I would say, is both uh, wide and deep. Okay, this goal is both uh, exhaustive in width and depth. And, and firstly, it's wide, meaning this message is for everyone. There is nobody who should be left out. There's nobody you should see on the street or in your home or in your family, whatever, and think, this guy's a lost cause. This guy's a lost cause. There's nobody we should think that. There's nobody we should think, heck no, I can't talk to this guy about Jesus. And secondly, this goal is deep. We don't want to just tell 
people some nice things, but we want to uh, not just leave them in a shallow faith the rest of their lives. We want them to plant deep roots. And the way we do that is we warn everyone, we teach everyone, not with some wisdom, but with all wisdom. And we don't want pe- we don't want people immature in Christ, but mature in Christ. And we don't want people to experience just some of the riches of Christ, but all the riches of Christ. We don't want people to have a partial assurance, but a full assurance. And so we want people to go deep. So these are two goals that go hand in hand. First, you can think of it as scattering the seed of the gospel as far as we can to make sure everyone has a chance to know this. And the fancy word for that is evangelism. And the second goal is to make sure these seeds have deep roots, that those who receive the gospel message are continuously growing and maturing in their faith. And the fancy word for that is discipleship. And so I want to encourage you to ask yourself, how are you ministering? in these two ways. How are you ministering in these two ways? And some of you, you might feel unqualified to minister in those two ways. And I would say that's okay. In some sense, all of us are unqualified, but at the same time, God calls us all to minister. And uh, so firstly, in what ways are you sharing your faith with others? In what ways are you sharing your faith with others? Are you taking intentional steps to get to know people who are not Christians? Are you building relationships with them? Uh, are you developing levels of trust with people so that they're open, open to even hearing the gospel from you? Are you verbally sharing the gospel with them? And secondly, in what ways are you helping other Christians to grow in their faith? Are you taking intentional steps to get to know other Christians? Is your quote-unquote community just a social get-together, or are you actually challenging one another, molding one another, sharpening one another to pursue Christ more? Are you helping one another to increase in understanding Christ more? And if your answer to any of these questions is no, I want to encourage you to make those answers yes. Um, If you're not in a community group, uh, you can start off by joining a community group. There's a sheet of paper in the back, and you can look at when they meet. Uh, Many of these things naturally happen there. If you are in a community group, but you still feel like some of these things aren't happening, then maybe uh, you got to take to the next step, whatever that is for you. Maybe you got to meet up with someone regularly. Uh, it would be nice if it was, it was it's someone in a different life stage, but find someone that you want to walk with and, and just meet up with them. Maybe uh, you don't know any non-Christians, okay, because you live in a bubble. That's okay. For most of my life, I was in a bubble, okay. Maybe you got to volunteer somewhere in the city. Maybe you gotta read a book on evangelism, whatever. You got, maybe you need to join a ministry team at the church. There are plenty of opportunities you can think of to be more engaged in, uh, in evangelism and discipleship. Maybe, uh, you answered yes to all those questions, okay, and if that's you, then there's a chance you might be burning yourself out, okay, and that's a struggle that I go through too. And so my challenge to you is to find people and bring them along. Find people who are other Christians and just bring them along with you on your journey because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So I encourage you to grab some people next to you, ask them to consider, hey, do you want to meet up regularly? Or, you know, just say, hey, I'm going to volunteer here this weekend. Do you have time? Do you want to come with me to volunteer this weekend? Or, hey, some of my coworkers are getting together for a social and, uh, you know, I want to develop relationships with them. Do you want to just come along so they can meet you or something like that? Or, hey, I'm serving in this music team in... Or uh, I'm serving kids ministry, and right now, you know, we really need some people to help out. Do you want to come serve with me? Whatever, right? There's plenty of things you can do. Just invite people to come along and join you. Um, Because ministry is suffering, and suffering is a lot easier when it's done together. We have this great task before us, 
Christ has suffered and died for the world, and it is God's plan that we, the church, deliver that message to the world. That even though Christ's afflictions are enough for salvation, it is still lacking because many, many people don't know about that suffering. And so I hope you never lose sight of this message of the gospel that, that Christ dwells in you and he is the hope, glory. And I hope this message rings powerfully in your life so that you would dedicate your whole life to, sh- to sharing Christ with others, both the people who already know him and people who don't know him, and find ways of doing that. And I hope that when suffering comes, because it will, suffering is going to come, you're going to go through hard days or weeks or years. When that comes, I pray that you don't quit. I pray that you hold on to the message of Christ, knowing that Christ suffered too. And as you suffer, you will get to know Christ's suffering more, and you will get to share and embody that suffering to people in this world. So that Christ's sufferings may shine through your sufferings. And so together, as a suffering body of Christ, indwelt by Christ himself, empowered by the hope of glory, let's proclaim this gospel to the world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your gospel message that Christ dwells in us. And because of that, we have hope for glory. And it's a glory that comes not through other broken human beings who can only offer a shadow of what you offer, but it is the real deal. And God, I pray that you would not let us lose sight of that because it is so magnificent, more magnificent than we realize. And God, I want to thank you also for your son, Jesus, who willingly chose to suffer on our behalf. He didn't have to. He could have stayed up in heaven and watched us burn and die in this planet. But he chose to walk among us, to suffer with us, to die for us. And God, I pray that during those times when we feel like giving up, when we feel broken ourselves, when our sin stares at us face to face and we see no way out i pray that we would be reminded of jesus suffering to know that it's not through anything that we do that earns us a spot in your kingdom but it is only through christ's suffering that enables us to know you to enable us to have a relationship with you so thank you that we don't need to do anything to earn anything that we have already been given this great gift of salvation. And I pray that you give us the boldness to share this gift of salvation with everyone, with as many people as we come in contact with, with both boldness and with humility, with truth and with love. I pray that you give us the words, give us the actions, and give us the heart to withstand the suffering and to look at you in the midst of our suffering, so that others may see Christ dwelling in us, that the physical body of Christ that suffered may shine through in this spiritual body of Christ, his church. And I pray this all in his name. Amen.